Christian, there's really like kind of like a top three or four, and thankfulness is right up there. It's, it's right up there. So if a Christian can really, um, for the most part, operate in particular qualities and attributes, forgiveness, that's, that's got to be number one. That really should be the mark of a Christian, forgiveness. Oh, I was offended by so-and-so. I didn't really like such-and-such. But the Christian, they, they, they might not like those things, or things may have bothered them, may have irritated them. That's not sinful there. That, that's okay. We, we can get like offended and have things happen. But the moment we choose to hold on to those things and be resentful and start to avoid and start to maybe like badmouth them anytime their name comes up or get people on our side to get against them, like that, now we're going the wrong way. So forgiveness, that should really just be a cornerstone of the Christian's life. Um, right up there with it is thankfulness. That's like a huge one. I, I, I would arguably say number two. Maybe we can argue about the position of it. Um, but it's going to be up there, and I would really put it as high as number two. And the question is why? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, the title of the message, as you can see in, in your uh, book there, is Thanks Living. So if there's thanksgiving, you know, but really I, I think what God wants us to be is the type of person that we just, it's just how we live. It's just a thankful way. It's just how we live. So we're going to talk about some of that this morning. Um, and as I just kind of thought about this idea of uh, being thankful and, you know, thanks living, I thought about, you know, Judson and Jaron. Um, kids are just so good at um, magnifying certain things in life because they're so innocent. They haven't yet learned how to manipulate really well. Although you can tell even at five years old, like they're learning how to manipulate. It's getting there. It's crazy how it doesn't take very much time to do that. For the most part, they're so young at five and three, they, they can't hide a lot really well. They're just horrible at it. And so what that does, you know, for the parents or the grandparents or the aunts or people that are around them that interact with them, is you really get to see life unveiled, you know? So there's some precious stuff about that because us as adults, like, unfortunately, what happens is we get older, we become really good at hiding a lot of things or downplaying things or distorting or covering just for all kinds of reasons. Typically for self-preservation, typically for acceptance, so we look good, so people don't think a certain way about us. It's, it's kind of crazy how we get to that point. And that was never God's intent. Never God's intent. I mean, really strong Christians that walk with the Lord, if, if you've noticed, they're very transparent, they're very authentic, they're very genuine. It's kind of what draws a lot of people in. They're like, well, there's something going on there that's, that's I haven't seen like that before. They don't have a hidden agenda when they give me something, when they do something, they actually just mean things and do it. It's interesting. But anyways, I was thinking about my boys and, you know, times when, they, when, they, when they're very affectionate towards me, um, I'm thankful. For the most part, they kind of are just affectionate guys. They like to cuddle. They like to, you know, hug. And that's great. I love it. I know it won't last forever, so I'll soak it up now. Um, and Julie loves rubbing it in my face when they get with her more. But they really are affectionate, and they're really, Dad, I love you, and they give me kisses, and Dad, I love you, and they're very agreeable, and, and they're very, like, motivated to listen to me, and just to be very helpful in any way. This, the times when they are like that, most times, typically it happens uh, when they know they're going to get something, or when I just gave them something. That's typically when they're most agreeable, most helpful, most enthusiastic about doing the most mundane chore. 
When typically on any other day, if I asked them to do something or put a coat away or do something, that could probably most likely result in a flop on the floor, a whining and a crying, a debate session, a negotiation. And, and it's amazing to me about how they actually do possess the ability to like buffer the things they don't like and become very willing and become very agreeable. And the way that they show that in response is really in thankfulness. Like, they're changing because now they're thankful because they know they're going to get something or I just gave them something. So that just changed the whole playing field. Now it's like, oh, Daddy asked me to pick up my toys in the living room. Okay, cool. Let's go pick them up. I just had a pumpkin cookie, so I'll go pick up my toys. And, and that's typically the way how it plays out. You know, that one just happened the other day. Um, but it's like that's, even this morning, I had to run to the church. I had to run to the, I did have to do that. But I had to also run to the store before church. And typically, Judson is kind of my guy. He comes with me. We go to the store. We grab some things, whatever we might need. And he always wants to go. Darren typically is like, you know, no, I don't want to. And usually, he never has a good reason. He just wants to be defiant and say no. And so it's, he's satisfied with being defiant. You know? Whatever. So sometimes you can force it. Yeah, as a parent, you got to pick when you're going to force, when you're going to not. So if Julie's cool with it, you know, he'll stay home, you know, with Julie and the baby. And, but this morning, he was, the first thing he said, and he woke up, oh, Dad, when are we going to the store? He wants to go because he knew the day before we talked about getting a little bouncy ball that he lost. <laughs> they remember. It's very agreeable, very willing. So he wakes up this morning, hey, we're going to the store, get a ball. Like, uh, and Julie's looking at me like, I'm like, well, I said, if you're a good boy and you listen and, and like, you know, you work with me, like, yes, you know. Okay, and he's the first one to get dressed. He's downstairs waiting. I didn't even finish things upstairs. He comes up to me my office. He's like, Dad, I'm ready to go to the store. I'm ready to go. It's amazing, like, how things, like, just change just based on um, his thankfulness and appreciation. And what that does for me as a parent and you know, what that does is that really opens up my eyes to, I can very much relate my relationship with my father, with God, in a very similar way, unfortunately. In other words, now that I've been walking with the Lord for a period of time, I can tell in my more immature days, and everyone goes through immature days and immature seasons, you just, you haven't, you're toddlers, you haven't really quite grown up yet in the Lord. In my more immature days, I would more respond like they would. So if, if I really wanted something, prayed for something, a particular relationship, um, a situation that happened at school, um, a conversation to work out well with somebody, whatever it was, I'd pray it, I'd be on it, maybe I'd even invite somebody to pray with me or tell somebody about it. And then if it worked out, usually where it wasn't too uncomfortable and it kind of just all came together without a lot of effort, it's like, oh, yeah, God, what do we have to do next? Sure. I will actually, I'll sing all the words at church next week because that was pretty awesome that you did that. Right, I would like respond in ways like that. And, and, you know, looking back, I can see that's just immaturity in my walk and not really understanding some things. But I believe that God is taking us as believers to a place where even if we know our thing isn't going to get fixed, even if we know we're not going to get something maybe great. 
that thankfulness is still a cornerstone of our faith and of our life. That's where he wants to bring us to be. That's where he's calling us to be. He's calling me to be. That's where he's calling all of us to be. And it really should be a mark. And what that does, man, that, I'm telling you what, that thankful way of living and coming before the Lord, it changes a lot of things. It takes away totally, a lot of the times anyways, complaining, dissatisfaction, anxiety, worry. These are powerful issues. So we're going to dive in just a couple of it uh, this morning. And then we'll take communion together. We'll sing a song and that'll be about it. Sound good? Okay, Philippians 4. Let's take a look. Verses 6 through 7. And you know what? We're going to start in verse 4. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. If you're just unsure of what to do sometimes, I want to know what God's will. I'm not sure what he's saying. I don't know how he wants me to react in a situation. Somebody asked me a question. Somebody, I don't know what to do. I'm uncertain. I'll tell you what. Please, 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 start with number one. Start to rejoice even if you don't feel like it. That could mean turning on your favorite worship song that you like and just rejoicing during it. That could rejoicing is jumping around your house for something or praying for something. Whatever rejoicing kind of looks like for you, it's typically an enthusiastic, physical demonstration of joy. Typically, that's what rejoicing is. <laughs> I was doing some of it the other night. I, uh, I got these uh, new headphones, and they work amazing. And they, a kid in class like left them, and he left them forever. And I was telling the kids, who's, who's are these, who's are these, who's are these? Who's are? Never take them, never take them, never take them. So I inherit all this stuff. So I got these headphones. So I go for a run the other night, and I'm just, I have my list on. And so we get to one song, and I'm like, oh, and it sounds amazing, like in the headphones. So I'm running up, uh, uh, not Johnson, was Phoenix, right before Johnson, up over here. I'm running up Phoenix, I'm like running, the song comes on, I'm like, I'm like in the Rocky movie, like, <laughs> you know, like, my workout music kind of goes that way, it used to go another way, it was like this harder, like, it has to be this other stuff, it, it's not so much like that anymore, it's like, I'm rejoicing in the Lord, like, what he, I don't know, it's just different, so, I'm like doing this, you know, and this guy pulls into his driveway, kind of came up behind, pulls in his driveway, and he's like, <laughs> you guys, and I'm running in the middle of the road, I'm not running on the sidewalk, you know, I'm like, but there's a, and, and I can probably tell you, I think on that day, nothing particularly well really even happened. It was probably a pretty boring, grinding kind of day, you know what I mean? But there's something within my spirit that I know that I needed. I needed rejoice time. It just needed to happen. And it wasn't just going to fall into place. Like, I needed to, like, create a space and create a time and go out and get it. And if you're ever unsure of what God is doing and what he's saying, you have to create this space and make it and go out and get it. Just start with step one. Just start rejoicing. It just unlocks things. It unlocks the spirit to really flow through us in a way that we really need to have happen. So that's just step one, right? So Paul's going, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. He's like, man, just keep doing it. Verse five, let your gentleness be evident to all. Um, that's a characteristic and a lot of us don't want to be known for. We'd rather be known for like other things. But gentleness is like a kingdom quality. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. So, don't be anxious about anything. That's a pretty ridiculous statement if you think about it. 
How many things, is there like a couple of things on the list that, list that are like really important and super severe that we should be anxious about? Is there a couple of things? Plus saying, no, there's not a couple of things that are like exceptions. And there's severe things that happen in life, things that are within our control, things that are outside of our control. He's saying, don't be anxious in those. Don't, like, don't go there. Do whatever you can to fight it. Do whatever you can to react a different way than to get anxious and worrisome and, and like feel constricted and just you feel the pressure mounting. You know what it feels like. Saying, don't do that. Don't go there. It's not helpful. It's completely opposite of where we want to be. So don't be anxious, right? That's what he's saying. And, and it's amazing how so many times through the scriptures, God has repeated a couple of themes over and over and over and over and over and over again. One of them is, do not be afraid. And the other one is, don't worry. We have real issues with those. And I don't have the statistics. I think I brought them in maybe a couple years ago or something. I don't remember. But how many just Americans are just on drugs constantly to kind of keep them at bay so they just don't reach this anxiety place to where they're just overwhelmed and they can't function. It's a major part of life. It's a major part of medical life. And I'm not suggesting that there's never a place for medicine, but what I am saying is that, hey, ride the medicine for a while, do what the doctor prescribes and go with that. Don't ever lose connection with the Lord and I can guarantee, guarantee you the Holy Spirit will take away that anxiety and that amount of fear. It's guaranteed. I guarantee it. I will challenge anybody. Stick close to the Lord. Aggressively be into Him. Hear from His heart and store His words inside. Do that for a year, two years, depending on how severe it is. I guarantee you freedom is coming. I, it's promised. It's guaranteed. And there's countless, countless stories of people who have actually done that. See, that's the issue. Who actually does it? People who have actually done that, followed through, the best, not in a perfect way, but their heart was just always there. They're just going after it, just a real intensity, just being about it. And freedom was awaiting them on the other side. It says, do not be anxious about anything. And then he gives kind of a helpful hint for that. How to avoid some of that anxiety. Like we just said, connecting with the Lord. How does Paul say it? But in everything, by prayer and petition. It's a pretty good way to be going through life. Every issue that comes up. Nothing's too big, nothing's too small. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. What happens if we do that? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, listen, if you can come to a place, as an individual and as a person, if you can come to a place where, for the most part, we are praying, we are in communication with our Father about what happens in life. Whatever it is, the highs, the lows, the struggles, the challenges, the in-betweens, all of it. If we can come to him with those, number one, that's important to do, is to come, with him, come to him with those. Number two, within all of that, somewhere, there's thanksgiving that we have interjected into it, that we have placed before God. So it's not just a laundry list of all the things that we need to have happen. 
that there's a significant platform and a place for thanksgiving. Paul's saying, like, this isn't a good practice for, for prayer modeling. This isn't best practice. This isn't just necessarily a good idea. He's saying, if we can do that, and if we really commit to that and live in that, it's a guard for us. It's a protection. It's a protection for us. What it does is it'll help insulate us and protect us about other things that will be coming our way. It says that what happens is, supernaturally, God will bring us peace. So to completely guard us from whatever might be coming in and going on. So we can truly, like Jesus, sleep in a boat while the storm is going crazy around us. So if we had to kind of summarize it, thanks living is all about perspective. Everybody say perspective. Perspective. And I think everybody in here knows there's my perspective and your perspective, what we see, what we interact with, what comes into our lives, what flows through. We see all kinds of things. Within our perspective, then we build a perception. We kind of like interpret it a particular way. And you could put all of us, all of us in a room. We could see one situation might have all been there to see it. We might all have kind of different perceptions. on. Um, when we are coming to God with prayers, petitions, giving Him thanksgiving, what it does is it starts to shift our perspective and our perception away from just ours. Not saying it doesn't have any value or meaning, but what we do is we now bring that before His throne and what He does, He takes it like a lump of Play-Doh and He starts to shape it to what it really is and what's really happening. Does that make sense? It completely gets shaped and framed into the way of what's really going on. Because it's very much a mistake on our parts to see life, to see things play out, and then just think, well, just that's just the way it is. And then our minds just go to the next logical conclusion. It's probably one of the biggest issues I have with like, you know, so the election happened, all that stuff took place, and now there's a place, and, and Christians, unfortunately, think like there's this platform now to say how horrible everything is. It's guaranteed for the end, and that's just what it is. I, I don't know, like, where the issue of, of hope and, like, worry, how is that helping the situation? Like, where is that spirit filled in any way at all? So it's craziness. And unfortunately, a lot of this happened. Some of us had some bad days with that, you know. And hopefully, hopefully the Christians will be humble enough to say, "I've had a bad day," saying a couple of things. But I don't want to diverge too much over there. But I mean, the main issue being, our perspective needs to have shaping. It needs to have shaping. The only way it gets there is if we let God have His hands on it. If we hold the play-doh, we're in trouble. We let him take a hold of it and shape it and we work it. Then we can actually see clearly. And Paul gives us some suggestions. He says, finally, brothers, what are some things that I can help perspective? I'm glad you asked. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, is pure, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. 
Whatever you may have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace, he will be with you. This is why there's such a value and a premium on what we let into our lives. We, we all have just a limited amount of things we can handle. So there's a lot of value as far as monitoring what I listen to, what I watch, and what I see. Because it's going to shape my perspective. It's going to like take it's going to take the place of some things that I could really be sitting on that would be admirable, that would be noble, that could be praiseworthy, that could be truthful. That other stuff is going to take that place. So there's lots of value in just like clearing things out of our minds that go against those things. Because what's at stake is what's at stake is peace. That's what's at stake. And when we're living in peace, it's not difficult to pray prayers of thanksgiving. It's, it's not hard at all. It's actually very easy. It's very difficult to pray prayers of thanksgiving when we're super stressed out and very anxious. Very, very difficult to pray prayers of thanksgiving. You with me? Okay. Let's go to uh, Luke. Luke 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body or about what you will wear. And we're going to keep going in a minute. The reason why we're reading this passage is because I'm not sure if you quite see it yet, but just so I do a better job of connecting the dots. If there's high amounts of worry, stress, and anxiety that's going to be completely um, obstructing and in the way and interfering with thanks living. You with me on this? High amounts of worry, stress, and anxiety are going to very much interfere and obstruct a thanks living. Because you're constantly stressed out to think about what's going to happen next, how's this going to play out, I don't even know. And you just worry about stuff all day long. Worry about worrying. Like, you know, it's just... And for most of us, it's actually pretty natural and easy to do that. So that's why we're reading this. So Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat. So again, are there some things we could worry about? No, like, let's not. Let's go for not doing that. What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? We'll stop there for a minute. I know a lot of times um, the Christian sort of cover-up, whether we mean it or not, the Christian cover-up for worry, we use a different word. We call it being concerned. That's the spin. That's what we do a lot of times. I've done it many times. And if we're really honest about ourselves, there's a place for being concerned. And I'm not, I don't want to you know, negate that. There's definitely a place for being concerned. Being concerned is very much different than being worried, right? Being concerned is, well, you know, I'm concerned about the situation. 
but I'm, I'm still comfortable. Like, I, I, I'm not highly emotional about this right now. I don't have great anxiety about it. It's just, you know, I'm concerned, you know, like, like this election. Like, everything that's going to happen still play out. I use that because it's fresh. I'm concerned, you know, like, oh, jeez, we got a, a lot of work to go here. And the church ain't looking so good, you know? Like, it's, it's concerning. Um, but I, 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 I'm not going to, like, freak out and go crazy. That's a lot of anxiety and worry that could be attached to the other way. And a lot of times I know Christians, you know, oh, I'm just really concerned. Eh, seem a little bit more than concerned right now. So it's always nice to also ask a trusted friend or person, hey, got this issue going on. Um, can you just give me some insight real quick? I think I'm just concerned about it. You think I'm worrying about it? You think I'm anxious? They'll tell you the truth. I, I guarantee you that. Sometimes you go to a trusted person. Um, verse 27, Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Everybody say faith. It's the issue here. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Boy, that's a tough one. He says, hey, listen, just don't do it. Set your heart on something else. That's, that's, you know, that's pretty much impossible to do that for a whole lifetime the right way. He's asked us to do an impossible thing here. The reason why he asks us to do an impossible thing is not to make us feel bad. Not to further emphasize um, our inadequacy. The reason why he brings us to a place to where, hey, do this impossible thing, is because he's trying to also make us aware that we need help. And he sent us the helper. Say the helper. That's the Holy Spirit's job, is to help us. So many Christians want to like live their life apart from the helper, help of the Holy Spirit. It's insanity. And he's calling and saying, hey, no, that's, that's not at all like what this thing is about. So it's the life of faith. And that's why that's the main issue here. That's what he says. I mean, you have such little faith. There's so much worry and anxiety in your lives and what you guys are doing. Where is the faith element in this? And that's the point that Jesus is trying to send home. If that faith issue and that trust is going on, there's very little room for anxieties and worries. So how do you grow your faith? You grow your faith by what we talked about in Philippians chapter 4. By bringing all of our prayers and petitions before God. In other places in the Bible it says hiding His word in our hearts. Surrounding ourselves with things that are noble, things that are praiseworthy, things that are admirable. Right? This is how we build our faith. Being connected to Him. And there's lots of other ways, but we can't do them all right now. Verse 29, And do not set your heart right on what you eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. That's just got to be a Facebook verse. It's got to be a Twitter one. It's got to be on your fridge. It's got to be one that you hold on to. Life verse right there. I got to seek him first. He'll come up. He'll do the other stuff. 
says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting how he brings this part up kind of at the end here. How, like, how did that flow into the whole worry thing? Well, what happens when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and we're close to his heart and peace is dominating in our lives, what that does is that opens up, like we talked about last week, to us to be very generous people. And certainly a mark of faith in our lives comes financially, and that's where he brought these. He's like, man, you just you give stuff away, and it's okay. You're not really anxious or worried about it. So, I share that passage with you because I think it's just always good to have a reminder and reinforcement. Man, God is in control. I can trust you. Father, I don't want to worry less. I want to trust in you more. You do take care of everything. And then that's when it's good to just be thinking about and just reflecting on, bring to my mind places you've been um, faithful and, and where you've come through and I, and I didn't know and I was unsure. Like We need those times. Like you don't get those times. You don't actually, you don't actually make space for that time you're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. We can't just remember every little detail that always happened. We have to be very intentional about this stuff. Let me say this one other thing real quick. We said thanks living is a matter of perspective, right? We did say that. Um, there's also one other piece of truth to this. Um, we're called to live in a tension that always comes with thanksgiving, but that always desires more. That's true. So there is this relationship with God to where we're called to be thankful and, con- and content with who He is and what's happening, but He's also placed within our hearts a desire to be closer to Him, to have Him move in greater capacities in our life, to give us greater spheres of influence, um, to use us in more significant and impactful ways. So there's always like this tension happening where we're grateful, there's thanks living, we come before him, we say thank you, Father. But then there's another part of this, it's like when we get closer to his heart, what happens is he starts to build in us a factor of just excellence. And he starts to build our perspective to a place where, wow, he can really use me in ways I had never knew. That's really his plan. That's what he wants to do. That is the goal. So we live kind of in this tension there. That happens. And I think that's a little bit about the issue with, remember when uh, the apostles are arguing about who's the greatest? You know, they, they did it a couple times. The last time they did it was at communion, which we're going to do in a minute. They're taking their last supper in communion. And what a dinner, right? Like he's about to go to the cross. They did three years together. They should have got some things. And then they're arguing at the table. Who's the best? And the reason why they're arguing is because you're just like, well, someone's going to be betraying me. And I could probably see the conversation going like, James has been acting weird, you know? Like, he's been distant. Peter didn't show up for the last thing I'm saying. Like, John tried to sit next to Jesus. Like, maybe he's trying to... Right? And from there, you can kind of see the conversation. Well, I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't. Well, I'm the, I did, did it. And you could see kind of like how it could go from there. 
And Jesus wasn't a huge fan about that, but it's interesting in his response, he didn't just go after them for trying to compare themselves to be the greatest. He wasn't like, this is wrong, don't do that, like you're being egotistical. He, he never talked about this like pridefulness to it, which is interesting to me. He never did the other time they argued about it either, because they did it twice, at least recorded. Let me just suggest to you that it's totally possible that these 12 and others were around Jesus. They got to be around and experience complete heavenly excellence. And they realized it was completely, totally possible, and they wanted to live excellence. Where they were greatly inspired to do so. They move from the realm. Usually the, the, the spectrum is, you know, we get saved, we understand who God is, then we try and walk and understand His heart and who He is and truly submit our lives, offer our lives down to Him, let Him work in our lives. And there's this, there's this spectrum of just surrender, constant surrender and just laying things down and understanding that better. And then we kind of move to, ooh, I'm seeing God's heart now. Like, now I'm seeing it because I'm letting go of a lot of things. And then once we move out of that into the next spectrum, it starts to be a place where everything's like, nothing's off limits. Like, Father, you really want to move and bring your kingdom here and impact in powerful ways. And like, my character and my flesh is in such a place where now you can use me to do that. And when we get to that end of the spectrum, which is where God is calling us to be, there's an overwhelming amount of, I truly am who God says I am and like we can walk this thing out and be powerful and impactful in this. So, thanks living. Definitely a matter of perspective. During communion, can I get a couple helpers that will pass me out? You help me out? So here's the goal during communion. We're just gonna give thanks. That's what we're doing. So it's very easy to give thanks when we're close to his heart. It's very easy. Because we're starting to see things how he sees them, which is perspective, which is what we talked about. Um, So for some of us, right, I don't know what that means, but there's practical steps like, you know, that need to happen and need to be in place so that way we can really truly hear from his heart and be close to him. And uh, maybe God has already made some things clear on that for you. Um, If he hasn't, we just thought I'd ask him. Father, in what ways can I truly think about what's noble? How can I surround myself about what's admirable? Um, how can I put your truth more in and around my life? Um, Father, show me, teach me how to actually live those things out so I can bring that around other people's lives so they can see it. Because the goal is not to just get it up here, right? We're supposed to actually do it. Thanks. Eric, you grab one?
So let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for who you are, Lord. I pray that you would bring to memory, Father, ways you've been faithful, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'd fill uh, each person in here, Lord, including myself, Lord, just an extra measure of courage and boldness, Lord, to keep certain things out of our life, Lord, and to put other things in. Pray that we just make a real stand on that, Father. I ask you, Father, to just um, raise, Lord, the levels of faith in our church, right, in this room, Father. Reduce worry, Lord. Much of it is a lie and untrue. And we don't want to live there and entertain it. And I thank you that we don't have to. Jesus, I thank you for being obedient and setting the model. And we thank you for this uh, new life that's possible in you. It says, while they're eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. So we take and we eat. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So we take and we drink. So we're going to close with one song. That's it. Joe, I did awesome. I'm proud of myself. Thank you, Holy Spirit.